Secrets. Oh, we know you got them. And we're going to talk about them tonight. Your deepest, darkest secrets. We got that. How much should you be paying for popcorn and soda at the cinema? Hmm. Should cinemas be allowed to make a profit? The death penalty back in the news here in Malaysia and Japan has broken... Not just broken, smashed, destroyed the internet speed record. You will not believe what these crazy Japanese people have managed to come up with. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We got all that coming up tonight, and uh, thank you for popping in. We're live across Facebook, YouTube, twitch.tv, and rumble.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow. Buttons around there somewhere. It's free. And also, hello to our podcast listeners. We are a podcast, and uh, we're getting hundreds of downloads and uh, listens, and we really appreciate that. If you would like the chance, not just to catch us live or our video replay on Rumble or YouTube or wherever, uh, you can also take us with you on your jog or your morning walk or your evening walk and stick in the headphones and listen to our podcast. Same show, just the audio part. And uh, because of this, a lot of the stuff we do, we're referring to articles and pictures and things. You can always find the links in our show notes, which is a description down below. And you will find our podcasts on all the platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, our great friends and fans over in India on Geo7. Thank you so much, you guys. You guys rock. You kick butt and take names out in India. Thank you so much. We've got a big audience over there. And uh, yeah, we've had a uh, we've had a spectacular week so far. It is Wednesday, and as usual, and this is coming up uh, later on, we will have our book. We're uh, in the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, so we'll be reading more of that. Right now, we're going to read into this little lady. Miko update. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Miko update. She's great. Uh, doing well. She was. I don't know. She was a little weird tonight. We went out to dinner. And usually when we get back, she goes crazy. I mean, if you even step outside of our front gate for two minutes to put out the garbage and then you come back in, she's so excited you're back home again. It's literally 30 seconds outside the gate. You step back in and she's like, yay, you're back. Anyway, uh, tonight when we got home, she was laying on the couch and she was, you know, with her head in her hands like this. And we walk in the door and she goes like, oh. You're home. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I think she was just feeling a little down. She wound up uh, eating all of her dinner and uh, playing a bit with her favorite shirt. So she's doing good. Thank you for asking. If you want to get in touch with us, by the way, and we always get PM saying, hey, how's Miko? Nobody cares about me. It's only Miko. So that's fine. No worries. That's okay. I understand. Uh, but anyway, you can always write us, you can email us, show at jsheldon.com, S-H-O-W, show at jsheldon.com. You want to make suggestions, stuff we want us to talk about, not talk about. You got an opinion about something that I have an opinion about. You can argue with me if you want. Either send me a PM, all the links to all my social media is down in the description below in our show notes. And uh, also, like I said, show, S-H-O-W, show at jsheldon.com is our email. We read and reply 
all your emails, no matter how crazy you may get. We still like to talk to you, so feel free. All right. Secrets, secrets, secrets. How many secrets do you hold? This is a very cool article. It's from Big Think. We love this site. It's really cool. Links in our show notes tonight. How many secrets are you holding from these categories? In the Secret Life of Secrets, Michael Slepian explores how holding secrets can affect our relationships, obviously, our psychology, and even our well-being. Yeah. From white lies to grave crimes, people keep all kinds of secrets. I'm sure you have them. I have them. I have lots of them. Some I will take to my grave. You probably have the same thing. Um, Some of our secrets weigh on our well-being. They affect our physical health. There are differences between being secretive and being a private person. Uh, The view of the morality of the experience is an important distinguishing element in how we keep our secrets. Uh, Having many experiences on the list of commonly kept secrets doesn't mean you've got to suffer through it. Uh, It's a book out, and uh, it's from Michael Slepian. The Secrets, li- the Secret Life of Secrets. This is a very cool article. It talks about the book, and when you go through the thirty-eight categories, there there may be a few that you'll think, well, I had that experience. I don't really tell people about it, you know, but it's not really a secret. Well, what keeps a secret apart from other things we don't talk about is the intention. Specifically, if you intend to keep information unknown. To help identify what experiences count as a secret, you have to distinguish a secret from privacy. Secrecy, privacy. Considering a secrecy is the intention to hold specific information back. Privacy is a reflection of how much you broadcast your personal information. Like me in this show. I just lay it all out there, and I don't, when it comes to that, I don't have a whole lot of privacy. Some, but not much. I kind of lay it on the line here, tell you what I think, what's on my mind, what's going on. But uh, those aren't secrets, really. It's just a level of how much privacy you want in your life. But um, those who less are less private might be happy to disclose personal information, not just to family and friends, co-workers, acquaintances. Um, You may not want to discuss your sexual experiences at work, for example, out of concern for privacy and for what is and isn't appropriate to be talking about at work. But it's very different from wanting to keep some specific experience a secret. In both cases, you're taking control of your specific personal information, but for different reasons. Make sense, I think? Take a look at this chart. This is uh, the dark gray. Again, if you're on the podcast, check out the link in our show notes. The dark gray is a secret. The lighter gray is not a secret. And the very lightest gray is the people they asked had not experienced that. So I find this hard to believe there's actually anybody, but a lie. A whole bunch of people keeping that a secret. Romantic desire, 
finances. That's way up there. This is ranked in order of how many people keep secrets about these things. Uh, secrets about telling a lie, romantic desire. And this is in order. Number one was a lie. Uh, sexual behavior, extra relational thoughts, not necessarily that you act on them, but just that you think about them. Mm. Family details, social discontent, violet trust, physical discontent, mental health, all the way down. At the bottom of the list, people who have either no experience in it or keep it a secret, pregnancy, a marriage proposal, and the last one down is, strangely enough, abortion. Wow. Very interesting. Aside from sex, money is another example of something you may not talk about, but you may not be intentionally keeping it a secret. Uh, privacy concerns, of course. You don't want to talk about it. Uh, it'll, these examples help us see that privacy and secrecy are not the same thing, but they can coexist. There can be gray areas in between what you keep private and what you keep a secret. Can we ever really separate them? The author says, yes, we can. And the person who knows best whether something is private or is secret is you. And you are the one who has to make that decision. There's the cover of the book. It's a cool book. And this is a great review of it. He says, I find in my research, the more immoral we consider a personal experience or an action, the more it feels like a secret. And that depends on your opinion of whether or not it's immoral. Not society or not my mom or my brother or my wife or my husband. But the more you consider it to be something immoral is how much more it becomes a secret than a privacy thing. Um, I also find the more we think others would find the information relevant to their own lives, the more something unsaid feels like secrecy instead of privacy. Look at this chart. Very cool. I'm going to spend a lot more time on this, but it, it's a cool article, and I highly recommend you check it out on the link uh, in our show notes, top link below. Um, they keep things a secret. The people they surveyed, uh, dark gray is secrets they've kept from everybody. Nobody but you knows it. Uh, lighter gray, secrets from some people. A few people know, some people don't. And then totally not a secret. At the top, things have switched around now. Extra relational thoughts. Again, not acting on extra relational. You know, you're screwing around, basically, is what they're saying. Thinking about it. Huge percentage, the highest percentage of people have kept that a secret from everyone. Sexual behavior, also top of the charts. Emotional infidelity. Ooh, that's a big one that never showed up in the top in the other chart. Uh counter-normative, theft, sexual infidel infidelity, that's actually acting on it, uh, ambition, self-harm, cheating at work, romantic desire. Now look, the number one thing, the lie, is way down here, like about number 10. And then you go to the bottom, the last three are surprise, 
drug use, and work discontent. The lowest number of people keep that a secret from everybody. Very interesting. A thousand people took part in uh, committed relationships, and he asked the participants to think about something they had never disclosed to their romantic partner. It's so cool. Have you got secrets? I know you do. Everybody does. We all do. We all have our secrets. I do. And I'm not telling you mine. And I'll tell you some, maybe one day. Not today. <laughs> what else we got? Oh, man. Oh, 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 yeah. We covered this on our, I think, our last show, or the show before. Uh, Malaysia is looking to, and I believe will, uh, get rid of their mandatory death penalty as a uh, uh, punishment for uh, certain crimes, in some cases a ridiculous punishment for crimes. I've said before, I'll tell you again, I'm 100,000% against the death penalty. I do not think the government has a right to take your life for any reason ever. Death penalty should be abolished on the planet completely. My opinion, not a secret. Well, uh, this is a public post. It's out there on his social media, so anybody can see it. And it's from a dear friend, uh, Hafiz Baharom. And uh, he made a, a an interesting comment about the death penalty because when we said, again, they're not abolishing the death penalty in Malaysia. They are abolita- uh, abolishing the mandatory death penalty, which means in some cases people are charged with crimes The judge has no choice. It is mandatory. That's the part, thankfully, a big step forward they're trying to get rid of. Eventually, Malaysia will wake up and get rid of the death penalty entirely. But Hafiz makes a great point here in his uh, post on Facebook. says, so about the death penalty, you had a minister announce plans to abolish the death penalty. A day later, you had a judge sentence three people to death over a drug charge and the police announcing recommendations of amending the law to lower the amount of drugs for the death penalty to apply. the hell is wrong with these people? Meanwhile, everyone is saying either it's a good thing or a bad thing, or saying it's not going far enough. And everyone forgot to ask for a moratorium to be put in place for death sentences to be dished out and the carrying out of executions in the meantime. Brilliant point. If they are considering this mandatory death penalty, to wipe that off the books, there ought to be, and somebody in politics and power ought to be talking about, the idea that we need a moratorium, a pause in carrying out people who have already been sentenced to death while this thing gets straightened out or you're going to be in some deep, serious trouble. Brilliant, brilliant uh, thoughts. Now, another fellow, and again, this is public. I'm not sharing anything out of school. This is a a comment was made from Dinesh, and a valid comment. Says, that silly young man, the letter of the law is such that if found guilty of some offenses, the only sentence a judge can give is the mandatory death penalty. There is, however, a moratorium on executing that penalty in place since 2018. I didn't know that. That's good news. Acts of Parliament have to be amended before judges have discretion to sentence otherwise. 
and the changes will be tabled in October. So, apparently, I don't have confirmation of this, but according to this comment, there has been a moratorium on the uh, carrying out of death sentences since uh, sometime in 2018. So, if that's the case, problem solved, good. Well, the whole problem's not solved because we will still have the death penalty, and eventually, like I said, someone will do the right thing and stop killing people when it's not justified. All right, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> what? Serena Lee liked the stream. Well, hello. <laughs> hey, Serena, good to have you along. Thank you for the like. Be sure you follow if you haven't done that already, but I believe you have. And thank you for all the belly laughs all week long on all of your postings. I Are you on Twitter, by the way? You need to follow me on Twitter. It's at It's J Sheldon, I-T-S-J Sheldon. Please follow me over there. I want to follow you back. Mm. Sorry, coffee break time. Okay, uh, <laughs> this story showed up. I'm sorry, I'm taking the side of the cinema on this case. I don't know all the details. I'll find them out with you right now. This is from uh, weirdkaya.com. The link is in our show notes. And uh, it, this just doesn't make any sense to me. GSC, which is Golden Screen Cinemas. It is a huge movie chain, cinema, theater chain, here in Malaysia. I don't know if they operate outside of Malaysia or not. I don't get out of the country very often. Hardly at all, in fact. Anyway, they were fined 45,000 ringgit for charging 3 ringgit 30 cent for a bottled water and 5 ringgit for chips. What? Look, you go to a movie theater, you're going to buy some popcorn and a soda or some snacks, you're going to pay more. It's just the way it is. It's the cinema. They make a little money at the concession stand. They make a little money off the tickets. That is not unreasonable for a bottled water and for a bag of chips. 8.30. 8 ringgit 30 cent would have been the total bill for a bottle of water and a bag of chips. I, for summary, I don't know if somebody complained, if some department said you can't do that, ran some sort of an inspection or something, but if you're a moviegoer, says this article in Weird Kaya, you can read the whole article in our show notes, the link's down below. You'll definitely know Malaysian cinemas don't allow outside food or drinks to be brought in as part of their rules and regulations, and it leaves you with the option of either buying your snacks from the exhibitor in their concession stand, or not having any snacks. Well, one of Malaysia's leading cinema exhibitors, Golden Screen Cinema, was reportedly fined an ridiculous ridiculous 45,000 ringgit for overcharging, they say, customers for bottled water and potato chips. It's according to an article in Utusan, Malaysia. Please. Anyway, according to the Malacca... Ah, here we go. The Malacca Ministry of Domestic Trade and Consumer Affairs Director, GSC was fined for increasing the price for spritzers, 600 milliliter mineral water, and Mr. Potato 75-gram uh, chip bag 
The mineral water was sold at three ringgit thirty sen with a profit increment of 0.97%. Please. And the potato chips at five bucks had a profit increment of 1.23%. Are you kidding me? So what? These people are in business to make money. And frankly, if you're at the movie cinema, it's like, you know, you go into 7-Eleven. It's a convenience store. You're paying a little more for things because it's a convenience. You know, at midnight, when you want a bag of chips, you can't walk into the grocery store and get one because they're closed. So you go to a convenience store and you pay for the convenience just like you pay for the convenience of having a snack at the cinema i'm sorry gsc i'm on your side on this one this is insane Forty-five thousand dollar fine ringgit malaysians dollar is called the ringgit if you're listening outside of malaysia Forty-five thousand. they find these people unbelievable uh norena added uh, this is the director of the Ministry, Malacca Ministry of Domestic Trade and BS. Uh, the judge ruled in the prosecution's favor as the defense team failed to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, according to uh, the charge, they were charged with committing the offense at Dataran Palawan Malacca Mega Mall in uh, Bandar Hilir, uh, Malacca. Uh, also understood the judge imposed a fine of 45,000 ringgit after the, the defense counsel asked for a reduction in the sentence. The prosecution, led by some moron and assisted by a, a different moron, uh, GSC was represented by Joshua Tio, Benny Chris, and Desmond Liu Zi Hong. Wow, not much more for details, but based on the information here, not an unreasonable price for a movie cinema and an absolutely absurd amount of a fine given to GSC. That is crazy. So what? You're not supposed to make money? Is that it? Maybe just drive them out of business. We won't have any more films. Is that what you prefer? If they don't all get banned first because, you know, somebody kissed somebody. All right. Let's get on to something else, because this is really going to piss me off. Uh, Oh, man. The Japanese have done it again. Unbelievable. If you haven't heard this story yet, it just broke a couple days ago. Japan has broken the world record for the fastest internet speed. 7.6 million times faster than what you probably have at your house. And for sure, what I have at my house, although, you know, honestly, I'm with Maxis Internet, little plug for Maxis. I know a lot of people complain. I see it all the time on social media. I've never had a problem. In fact, I have been using for 20 years now Maxis on my phone, got the same phone number, same account, never had a problem. I don't want to say never, but not that I can remember have I had a problem. I'm sure I maybe had one or two. Coverage is good. I don't have an issue. And my internet, it brings you this show three nights a week. And I've just got normal home fiber internet. But uh, it's, it's I, no complaints. Seriously. Anyway, it could be better. I could live in Japan. 
This is incredible, this story. Engineers have achieved a record-breaking internet speed. Listen to this. 319 terabytes per second. 319 terabytes with a T per second. You could download about 80 full-length films in one second with that kind of internet speed. Unbelievable. 7.5 million times faster than the average internet home speed in the U.S. To do this, they developed an experimental fiber optic with four cores. Unbelievable. Internet speed typically measured by how much data you can transmit between two devices in one second. Uh, The old record, where was the old record? Is it in here? Mm, I don't see it. Anyway, they blasted the old record out of the ballpark by more than twice. Um, The new record, 319 terabytes per second. Oh, that is double the previous world record. Here's what they did. They took a normal fiber optic cable, put four fiber optic cables into one core, and then they used some sort of an odd laser light because fiber optic works by sending pulses of light down a fiber optic cable. Well, they designed some sort of laser that would shoot the light beams as fast as possible down this cable. Laser fired pulses at different wavelengths and multiple signal amplification techniques, and it enabled them to transmit data over a distance of more than 1,800 miles at 319 terabytes per second. That is incredible. And if it's happening in the uh, labs in Japan, will it be that much longer before it's available for you at your house? I hope not. I'll take that any day. (laughs) Oh, man. 319 terabytes a second. Imagine, queue up 80 films that you want to watch. Maybe if you're in Malaysia or one of the other idiot countries that banned it, the new new Lightyear film. Click a button. One second later, all 80 films are on your your laptop. Better make sure you've got that kind of storage space before you click the download button. Incredible. All right. From the incredible to the stupid... (laughs) Ah, Zane, thank you for posting this. (laughs) We stole it from you tonight. It was a public post. It's actually from a Facebook page called The Sized, S-I-Z-E-D. I I put the link in our show notes tonight. There's an 1881 law from 1881 in Chicago that made it illegal for ugly people to be out in public. (laughs) I'm not kidding. <laughs> you ugly, and you can't go outside because it's against the law. Uh, okay, the backstory is they were trying to eliminate the problem of people begging in the streets. And they wrote a law that said no person who is diseased, maimed, mutilated, or in any way deformed 
will be allowed in public places. Now, beggars who might fall into that category were apparently fined between $1 and $50, or they were shipped off to some unknown location. Seriously, it was an actual law. It's no longer on the books. But in Chicago, if you were ugly, sorry, you can't go out in public. (laughs) Now, here's the weird thing. Do you know when they finally abolished the law? I mean, I assume it probably wasn't enforced after a while. But they didn't abolish the law until the 70s. The 1970s. About a hundred years this law sat on the books, and it wasn't until in the 70s they actually said, "Mm, maybe that's a stupid law. (laughs) Just believable. All right. I got one more. As you know, we usually end with a good news story. Uh, Something about uh, a random act of kindness someone has done. And the one I found tonight actually relates to the last story we just covered about... uh, people who look different from us. This is from heartwarming.com. Links in our show notes. Please check it out. A two-year-old was banned from the nursery school because her deformed skull was too scary. You, Yeah, this is 2022, folks. Not the 70s when they finally got rid of that Chicago law. This is incredible. And this sweetheart of a little girl from Russia. There should be no barriers to a youngster receiving a decent education and all the social chances that come with it. However, the parents of a two-year-old Russian, Sofia Zakharova, were advised that she was not allowed any longer to join her local school. And they were told that her misshapen head might frighten some other youngsters. Now you take a look if you're watching on the video and not listening. Even if you're on the podcast, please do open the link. It's the last one in our show notes tonight. That is a picture of this dear, darling little girl, two years old, Sofia Zakharova. She lives with her mom and her father, Russell, both sets of grandparents in the Russian hamlet of Alatani in the Bashkir Korostan area. Uh, Sadly, she was born with a malformed cranium and fused fingers and toes. Her parents were advised that the little girl should have surgery before applying for a school spot, and they were warned that she might frighten other kids. You know, I think what she's actually done is frighten the adults, because kids are aren't like that. Kids aren't racist. You have to be taught to be racist. Kids are not judgmental. They're taught to be judgmental. An educational psychologist explained that it was critical that Sophia attend class and have social connections. There she is. What a sweetheart. The faster she has interactive experiences, the simpler it will be for her to deal with the surroundings in which she lives and grows. 
Her, her and her family live in an apartment with no running water or warmth since the stove has been damaged, the gas has been turned off. Grandfather said they have uh, such a disaster here, they indicated they would uh, do the procedure, but then became quiet. Her issue was taken up by the local charity Rainbow of Goodness, but the school still declined to let her attend classes. Her mother was informed she needed to organize an operation so that her daughter can attend nursery school like a regular child. This is a disgusting story. I don't know who the school thinks it is, but there is nothing wrong with that little girl, and trust me, the other three, four-year-olds don't have that sort of judgmental or racist bones in their body. They haven't been taught it yet. But you keep up this kind of crap, they're going to learn it real quick. Incredible. Wow. Anyway, somebody's gotten together and is trying to fight for this little girl, and I sure hope they are successful because she deserves all the love in the world. That's, that's a sad story, which hopefully will turn out to have a, a happy ending before long. All right. Let us move over to our book, shall we? We've done about a half an hour. Actually, we've done more than a half an hour tonight. We read books on this show. You know that if you're a regular to the Jay Sheldon show. And uh, we're doing um, Sherlock Holmes. We're in the middle of another adventure. They have just arrived out station. And we're going to continue on. Let's see. Where's our book? Boop. There it is. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Here we go <clears throat> with the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It was nearly four o'clock when we, at last, after passing through the beautiful Stroud Valley and over the broad, gleaming Severn, found ourselves at the pretty little country town of Ross. A lean, ferret-like man, furtive, sly-looking, was waiting for us on the platform. In spite of the light brown dust coat and leather leggings which he wore in deference to his rustic surroundings, I had no difficulty in recognizing Lestrade of Scotland Yard. With him we drove to the Hereford Arms, where a room had already been arranged for us. I've ordered a carriage, said Lestrade, as we sat over a cup of tea. I knew your energetic nature and that you wouldn't be happy until you'd been on the scene of the crime. It was a very nice and complimentary of you, Holmes answered. It is entirely a question of barometric pressure. Lestrade looked startled. I, I don't quite follow, he said. How is the glass? Twenty-nine, I see. No wind, not a cloud in the sky. I have a case full of cigarettes here which need smoking, and the sofa is very much superior to the usual country hotel abomination. I do not think that it's probable that I shall use the carriage tonight. Lestrade laughed indulgently. You have no doubt already formed your conclusions from the newspapers, he said. This case is as plain as a pikestaff, and the more go one goes into it, the plainer it becomes. Still, of course, one can't refuse a lady, and such a very positive one, too. She had heard of you and would have your opinion— though I repeatedly told her that there was nothing which you could do which I had not already done. Why, bless my soul, here is her carriage at the door. He'd hardly spoken before there rushed into the room one of the most lovely young women that I have ever seen in my life. 
her violet eyes shining, her lips parted, a pink flush upon her cheeks, all thought of her natural reserve lost in her overpowering excitement and concern. Oh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, she cried, glancing from one to the other of us, and finally, with a woman's quick intuition, fastened upon my companion. I'm so glad you've come. I've driven down to tell you so. I, I know that James didn't do it. I know it, and I want you to start upon your work knowing it too. Now, never let yourself doubt upon that point. We've known each other since we were little children, and I know his faults, as no one else does. But he is too tender-hearted to hurt a fly. Such a charge is absurd to anyone who really knows him. Well, I hope we may clear him, Miss Turner, said Sherlock Holmes. You may rely upon my doing all that I can. But you've read the evidence. You've formed some conclusion. Do you not see some loophole, some flaw? Do you not yourself think that he is innocent? I think that it is very probable. There now, she cried throwing her head back, looking defiantly at Lestrade. You hear? He gives me hopes. Lestrade shrugged his shoulders. I'm afraid that my colleague has been a little quick in forming his conclusions, he said. But he's right. Oh, I know he's right. James never did it. And about his quarrel with his father, I am sure the reason why he would not speak about it to the coroner was because I was concerned on it. "'In what way?' asked Holmes. "'It is no time for me to hide anything, James, "'and his father had many disagreements about me. "'Mr. McCarthy was very anxious "'that there should be a marriage between us. "'James and I have always loved each other "'as brother and sister, but of course he's young. "'He's seen very little of life yet, "'and, well, he naturally didn't wish "'to do anything like that yet.' So there were quarrels, and this, I'm sure, was one of them. And your father, asked Holmes, was he in favor of such a union? Oh, no, he was adverse to it. No one but Mr. Carthy was in favor of it. A quick blush passed over her fresh young face as Holmes shot one of his keen, questioning glances at her. Thank you for this information, he said. May I see your father if I call tomorrow? I'm afraid the doctor won't allow it. The doctor? Uh, yes, have you not heard? Poor father has never been strong for years back, but this has broken him quite completely. He's taken to his bed, and Dr. Willows says he's a wreck. His nervous system is shattered. Mr. McCarthy was the only man alive who'd known Dad in the old days in Victoria. Ha! In Victoria? This is important. Yes, at the mines. Quite so, at the gold mines, where, as I understand, Mr. Turner made his money. Oh, yes, certainly. Thank you, Miss Turner. You have been of material assistance to me. You will tell me if you have any news tomorrow. No doubt you'll go to the prison to see James. Oh, if you do, Mr. Holmes, do tell him that I know him to be innocent. I will, Miss Turner. 
I must go home now, for Dad is very ill, and he misses me so if I leave him. Goodbye, and God help you in your undertaking. She hurried from the room as impulsively as she'd entered, and we heard the wheels of her carriage rattle off down the street. I'm ashamed of you, Holmes, said Lestrade with dignity after a few minutes' silence. Why should you raise up the hopes which you are bound to disappoint? I'm not over-tender of heart, but I call it cruel. I think that I see my way to clearing, James McCarthy, said Holmes. Have you an order to see him in prison? Uh, yes, but only for you and me. Then I shall reconsider my resolution about going out. We still have time to take a train to Hereford and see him tonight. Ample. Then let us do so, Watson. I fear you'll find it very slow, but I shall only be away a couple of hours. Well, I walked down to the station with them, and then wandering through the streets of the little town, finally returning to the hotel, where I lay upon the sofa and tried to interest myself in a yellow-backed novel. The punny plot of the story was so thin, however, when compared to the deep mystery through which we were groping and I found my attention wander so continually from the fiction to the fact that I at last flung it across the room, gave myself up entirely to a consideration of the events of the day. Supposing that this unhappy young man's story was absolutely true, then what a hellish thing. What absolutely unforeseen and extraordinary calamity could have occurred between the time when he parted from his father and the moment when, drawn back by his screams, he rushed into the glade? It was something terrible and deadly. What could it be? Might not the nature of the injuries reveal something to my medical instincts? I rang the bell and called for the weekly country paper which contained a verbatim account of the inquest. In the surgeon's deposition, it was stated the posterior third of the left parietal bone and the left half of the occipital bone had been shattered by a heavy blow from a blunt weapon. I marked the spot on my own head. Clearly such a blow must have been struck from behind. That was, to some extent, in favor of the accused, as when seen quarreling he was face to face with his father. Still, it didn't go for very much, for the older man might have turned his back before the blow fell. Still, it might be worth a while to call Holmes' attention to it. Then there was the peculiar reference to a rat. What could that mean? could not be delirium. A man dying from a sudden blow doesn't commonly become delirious. No, it was more likely to be an attempt to explain how he met his fate. But what could it indicate? I could juttle my brain to find some possible explanation, and then the incident of the gray cloth seen by young McCarthy. If that were true, the murderer must have dropped some part of his dress— presumably his overcoat in his flight, and must have had the hardihood to return and carry it away at the instant when the sun was kneeling with his back turned not a dozen paces off. What a tissue of mysteries and improbabilities the whole thing was. I did not wonder at Lestrade's opinion, and yet 
I had so much faith in Sherlock Holmes' insight that I could not lose hope as long as every fresh fact seems to strengthen his conviction of young McCarthy's innocence. It was late when Holmes returned. He came back alone, for Lestrade was staying in lodgings in the town. The glass still keeps very high, he remarked as he sat down. It is of importance that it should not rain before we're able to go over to the ground. On the other hand, a man should be at his very best and keenest for such nice work as that, and I did not wish to do it when fagged by a long journey. I have seen young McCarthy. And what did you learn from him? Nothing. He could throw no light? None at all. I was inclined to think at one time he knew who had done it and was screening for him or her. But I'm convinced now that he is as puzzled as everyone else. He's not a very quick-witted youth, though comely to look at. And I should think, sound at heart. I cannot admire his taste, I remarked, if it is indeed a fact that he was adverse to a marriage with so charming a young lady as Mrs. Turner, Miss Turner. Ah, thereby hangs a rather painful tale. And we'll find out what that tale is in our next live stream. Coming up on Saturday night, we will likely conclude this adventure in the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, which is uh, the book we're reading this time around. And as we get set to uh, wind up Sherlock Holmes, uh, start thinking about what book you'd like me to read next. Somebody suggested I read my own children's book, Willie and the Warthog. Considering it, it's very short. I could probably do it in one stream. It's a short little children's book. It's very cute. If you want to buy a copy, by the way, it's from Amazon and it's down below. Uh, hey, Adikla. Hey, I like the stream. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. All right. Um, I, I saw. I heard a couple of other pops go off, but my book was in front of it. I couldn't see it. So whoever you are liking the stream, thank you. Really appreciate it. Be sure you follow and subscribe uh, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, or Rumble.com, of course, is the other place you will find us and our show, or on our podcast, the audio part of our show, which comes up about a half hour after we're done with our live stream. Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Geo7 in India. Uh, uh, we're all over the place. You'll find us. Just look for the Jay Sheldon Show. Check out that logo and then hit subscribe or follow and off you go. And we really appreciate it. It's free for you. Helps us a lot. I'll see you again on Saturday night. I'm Jay Sheldon and you all have a great rest of your week. Good night. Snort. <laughs>